0: Okay, so today we'll uh, take a look in part of chapter 2 uh, from verses uh, 10 through 17 uh, that focus on marriage and divorce and remarriage. And it speaks about the relationship that the priests uh, had with their wives. And the Lord is, again, uh, holding them accountable for not uh, being faithful to the marriage covenant uh, with their wives. And earlier the Lord was uh, holding the priests uh, accountable for uh offering uh, blemished uh, sacrifices, and last week we saw that the priests were not good leaders uh, in terms of teaching the people and so on. So verse 10 uh, gives us the basis for unity, and 11 and 12 uh, talks about marriage uh, to foreign wives or heathen wives, and the remaining section talks about divorce and remarriage, and verse 17 is a little bit different. It speaks about uh, the normal complaint that people have, that the Lord is not just, uh, whereas the unrighteous uh, seem to prosper, whereas the righteous uh, seem to suffer uh, in this world. So and in terms of reflection, we can talk about uh, whether we are faithful to our marriage uh, covenant. Okay, so we'll start with verse 10, uh, which says, uh, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Uh, why do we deal uh, treacherously uh, every man against his brother by profaning uh, the covenant uh, of our fathers? So we can say that the Worst Ten uh, focuses on unity and gives us uh, what is the foundation for unity. And here we are reminded that we have one father or one God, and one is uh, our creator. So we are all uh, part of the same family, and that is Uh, all the more true uh, for the people of Israel uh, who are called out uh, as a chosen uh, generation, as a special group of people. So if they're all uh, part of the same family, then they should live uh, in unity and love. And the same thing would be true today uh, in the case of a church. Uh, We have been brought out. And if that is the case, uh, we should be living in unity and love, uh, which is the basis and we see the word uh, treacherously appear several times uh, in this passage uh, in verse 10, 11, 14, and 15. And that uh, refers to lack of loyalty or not being faithful uh, to the covenant or to the spouse uh, that you're married to. And we also see <clears throat> in this verse a profane, which is simply the opposite uh, of sacred or holiness. And we know that holiness uh, is something that the Lord pays uh, a lot of attention to, and that is uh, emphasized a lot, uh, especially in the book of Leviticus. And also, as we went through the book of Deuteronomy, there was a lot of uh, emphasis uh, on holiness. And Leviticus 10.10 uh, 10 says, and that he for difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. And as we go through this passage, we would see that the Israelites or the priests, uh, they were seen as lacking loyalty and also polluting the covenant that they had made with God and with their wives. And when we look at the New Testament, we again see that God desires uh, unity. In 1 Corinthians 10.10, it says, uh, Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously uh, every man against his brother uh, by profaning the covenant uh, of our uh, fathers? So that is uh, similar to the verse that we have in Malachi 2.10. And 1 Corinthians 12.25 says there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members uh, should have one care, should have the same care, one for another. And in John chapter 17, where we see the prayer of Jesus, uh, again, uh, he focuses on unity. He says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect uh, in one. So we see that scripture uh, puts a lot of value on unity. And the basis uh, for our unity is the relationship uh, which we have with the Lord, which brings us uh, to be part of the same family. And verse 11 and 12 uh, speaks about marriage uh, to foreign wives and why the Lord uh, objects uh, to marrying uh, foreign wives. Okay, so 11 and 12 and also the continuing sections uh, focus on the marriage and focus on the divorce and what marriage uh, to foreign women does. So that is the emphasis here. And it says uh, they have uh, profaned or they have been disloyal to the Lord by marrying the daughters uh, of a strange uh, God. And the consequence is that the Lord will uh, cut off. And that is what we have seen before, that anytime there is some unholiness uh, in the presence of God, uh, the Lord uh, uh, is unhappy and such behavior is uh, punished and eradicated uh, by God. And So oftentimes there might be a question, can we marry uh, foreign women? So obviously that is not the focus here. Uh, God is not against uh, marrying foreign women and uh, all believers, uh, regardless of race or regardless of nationality, uh, they are one in Christ. But here God is objecting to marrying uh, foreign women uh, because uh, they are foreign gods. And when that happens, uh, oftentimes uh, it would lead to idolatry, uh, as we see in the scriptures, in some of the examples uh, that we would see. So the Lord is saying that uh, you have dealt uh, treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Jerusalem and in Israel. And they have gone away uh, from the holiness uh, of the Lord by marrying women. Uh, that have uh, foreign gods. And we see that, uh, we can see a couple of examples. uh, In Numbers uh, 25, Uh, we see that the Israelites, they are led into idolatry by the Moabite uh, women. So that is the biggest uh, danger of marrying uh, pagan women or marrying foreign women uh, with foreign gods uh, because they would lead uh, God's people uh, into idolatry uh, which violates the first two commandments uh, of the Ten Commandments. So in Numbers uh, 25, we read, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit wardom with the daughters of Moab, and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods, and Israel joined the, himself unto baal and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and those that died uh, in the plague were 24,000. So we refer to this passage uh, also last week uh, when we talk about talked about the priest Phinehas. Uh, he's the one who uh, threw the javelin when he saw uh, these practices uh, existing uh, among the Israelites. But here we see that uh, due to a relationship with the Moabites—they uh, were being—they drif- were drifting away into idolatry. But we know that Ruth, uh, she was also a Moabite, uh, but Ruth was different because uh, she forsook her foreign gods and she accepted the God of Israel. So the uh, problem is not the nationality; the problem is not uh, where the woman is born, uh, but the problem is uh, who they are worshiping. Uh, if they are worshiping idol gods, uh, the God is warning us that they could lead us into idolatry. So in Ruth one sixteen, 16, uh, Ruth said, Entreat uh, me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For where thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. So we see that uh, in case of Ruth, uh, she is taking a uh, change of heart and she is forsaking uh, her God and she is accepting the God of uh, Israel. And we also see uh, in the case of King Solomon, uh, he is also led uh, into idolatry by going into relationship uh, with foreign wives, uh, which take him uh, away from the true God. So in 1 Kings uh, chapter 11, verse 1 says, but King Solomon loved uh, many uh, strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidianites, and Hittites, of the nations uh, concerning which the Lord said unto children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they, shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart uh, after their gods. But Solomon clave uh, unto these uh, in love, And verse 4 says, for it came to pass when Solomon was old uh, that his wives uh, turned away his heart uh, after other gods. So here again, uh, God is warning us, uh, even though King Solomon uh, was the wisest man, uh, he was attracted to strange uh, women who were worshiping uh, foreign gods, and eventually they turned away his heart to these gods and he committed adultery. And we see in verse four, and his heart was not perfect uh, with the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. So that is the same complaint uh, that God has, uh, which is communicating through prophet Malachi, uh, that the priests have entered into relationship uh, with women uh, who were worshiping foreign God. Okay, so here we see uh, like a general warning that we can see from verse uh, 13. Uh, We see that the altar is covered with tears. So when we apply to our own lives, we can think about uh, praying to God with a lot of intensity, uh, with a lot of burden, and with a lot of tears. But we may not be receiving any answers uh, to our prayers. And one of the reasons could be uh, there is some sin Uh, which is uh, blocking our prayers. So we may think that we are very uh, disciplined uh, in our prayer life. We may think that we are very sincere in our prayer life. But the Bible is very clear that if there is sin in our life, uh, we need to fix that first uh, before we can enter into God's presence, uh, before we can expect uh, any response uh, from God. So that's the same thing happening here. Uh, In this case, uh, the specific sin Uh, is the sin of uh, divorce and remarriage. And despite uh, living in that sin, uh, the priests are continuing to go through the motions uh, of going through the altar and covering it uh, with tears, but obviously God is uh, ignoring that. So in this case, uh, we have priests uh, who have divorced uh, their wives uh, to marry uh, pagan women. So in a sense, uh, they are committing uh, two sins. Uh, Initially, they are divorcing their wives uh, to whom they were married. And secondly, they are marrying a pagan woman. So both are not acceptable in God's eyes. So that is why uh, even though there are tears uh, on the altar, uh, there is no response uh, from God. So obviously God cannot uh, overlook their sins and he cannot be blinded uh, by what's happening in their life. So he is not uh, accepting uh, their offering. And it also says uh, God was a witness uh, to the marriage. So when a marriage uh, takes place in the church, we often say that God is a witness uh, to that marriage. So even though we may not see God uh, in a physical form, but we know that the marriage is taking place uh, under the authority of God and as with God Uh, as the witness. And in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, likewise, ye husbands, uh, dwell with them or dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto your wife as unto a weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers uh, be not hindered. So obviously, if the priest has divorced his wife, then uh, he's not giving honor to the wife that he married. So in that case, the prayers would be hindered. And here uh, the wife is described uh, in verse 14 uh, as the wife uh, of your youth or the wife that you married when you are young, uh, the wife who was your companion and the wife uh, with whom uh, you had a covenant uh, to live and to take care of her and to stay married. Uh, till the end. So the emphasis, uh, we can see that the wife is playing an important role uh, in your life. Uh, You married her when she was young, and oftentimes uh, people would divorce their wife uh, when the wife is getting old, uh, they may marry someone younger, uh, but the Lord is also saying she was your companion. And most importantly, she was the wife uh, of a covenant uh, to which uh, God was the witness. So anything that goes against the covenant, uh, God will not be pleased. And God's purpose uh, was that through that marriage, uh, he desired a godly seed. But if you are divorcing your wife and marrying a pagan woman, then that uh, goal uh, is also not going to be achieved. In the scriptures, it's very clear that uh, you cannot marry uh, women of pagan cultures because they will... Uh, leaders uh, into idolatry. So in this case, as we saw, there is a double sin. Uh, there is a divorce uh, that is followed by unholy alliance. And in Deuteronomy 7, uh, 3 and 4, it says, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son, for they will turn away thy son from following me that they may serve other gods, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled uh, against you and destroy thee suddenly. So God has uh, already warned uh, the people of Israel uh, what they should do and what they should not do, and they were clearly told that they should not uh, marry women uh, from other cultures who are worshipping other gods. And the same thing we see when Paul is uh, giving us a warning in 2nd Corinthians uh, chapter 6 that be not uh, unequally yoked uh, with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion has light uh, with darkness and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols and in verse 16 uh, it says for the Lord the God of Israel Uh, saith that he hated uh, putting away or he hated uh, divorce for one covereth violence uh, with his garment uh, saith the Lord of hosts therefore to take heed uh, to your spirit that ye deal not uh, treacherously. So divorce uh, would go uh, against uh, God's commandment. Uh, Divorce would break uh, the institution of marriage uh, that was uh, established by God. Uh, It also destroys uh, the covenant of love and trust uh, in the society or with the person that you're married to. And it is also a poor uh, witness uh, to the Lord uh, if the Christians are divorcing. And it also does not uh, represent uh, Christ and church uh, as we read in the New Testament. And we'll see later that uh, uh, while divorce is allowed in some cases, Uh, As we see uh, in the New Testament, uh, it is never God's perfect will. Uh, It is always uh, better to reconcile uh, than to separate. It is always better uh, to stay married uh, than to divorce. So as it says in verse 16, uh, we should be guided by the Spirit uh, in all decisions that we make. So it says, therefore, take heed uh, to your spirit. So, oftentimes, uh, when these decisions are made uh, about separation and divorce, uh, they are based on the flesh, or it is based on our intellect, or it's based on instinct or emotions that we are going through. But the Lord is saying that we need to be guided by the Spirit, we need to be guided by the uh, instructions uh, that are given in the scriptures. And we should not deal treacherously or we should not be unfaithful to the covenant that we have made. And the chapter ends in verse 17. Uh, It ends with a question that we often ask, uh, are sinners, uh, why are the sinners being blessed uh, while the righteous uh, people are suffering? So that's a question that we also see in Psalm uh, 73 uh, in detail. So you can read that. So in verse 17, it says, uh, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Uh, yet ye say, uh, Wherein have ye wearied him? Uh, when ye say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? So that is one of the frequently asked questions. Uh, why are the unrighteous uh, flourishing, or why are the sinners uh, flourishing in this world? while God's children are going through different suffering or different challenges uh, in this world? Or where is the God of judgment as it does in verse uh, 17? God's response is that he is buried with such uh, unjust uh, accusations because God is a God of justice. And in the end, uh, it is always the righteous people uh, who will have a good ending. Uh, it is always the righteous people Uh, who are blessed uh, with all the blessings, uh, the spiritual blessings. So we'll just read a couple of verses from Psalm uh, 73. It says, verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Uh, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. So here the psalmist is comparing the godly with the ungodly. And he's saying that the ungodly, they continue to prosper and they are rich. Uh, Whereas the godly person, he's living a separated life. Uh, He's living a clean life, but his life uh, is full of problems. And it goes on to say in verse 17, uh, until I went uh, into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. So it is only when we go back to God when we look for answers uh, within the scriptures uh, that we are able to receive a uh, peace, uh, we are able to receive the answers that we are looking for. So we'll just spend a little bit of time uh, since it's on the topic of marriage. Uh, we can consider uh, what is the foundation for godly marriage. And does Bible permit uh, separation? And if you're already married to an unbeliever, And what if you're already uh, divorced? So the Bible is very clear in terms of uh, some critical things. So so the Bible says uh, for marriage, uh, the foundation should be correct. And the Bible also defines uh, what is the role uh, for husband and for wife. And when these are broken, uh, then it also makes it harder uh, for the marriage uh, to prosper Uh, according to God's will. So so in Genesis uh, 2.24, which is a familiar verse, it says, uh, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one or they shall be one flesh. So that is the first uh, marriage uh, that we see in the scriptures. And it speaks about uh, leaving and it speaks about cleaving and it speaks about becoming one. So when it speaks about leaving uh, parents, uh, it speaks about uh, starting a new uh, relationship uh, with your wife. It doesn't mean you're abandoning your parents, but it simply means that uh, after marriage, uh, the priorities have shifted and someone else has, has come into your life and you're starting a new chapter. And it is with that person that you become one So you're not going back uh, to your parents, you're not going back to your roots, but you're starting afresh with new priorities. So marriage is something that is uh, instituted by God between one man and one woman. So obviously there's a lot of uh, variations that we see in today's culture, but the Bible is clear that the marriage uh, should be between one God and one one man and one woman. And also as we read in Malachi 2.14, that God is a witness uh, to that marriage uh, covenant. And if God is a witness, uh, we should not take marriage uh, lightly. Uh, when we break the marriage covenant, uh, we are also uh, going against uh, God's will, and God is watching. And this covenant uh, must be honored uh, till death, as it says in Mark ten nine: what God has joined uh, together, let no man put asunder." So it is God who's uniting husband and wife. It is God who united Adam and Eve. And if that is the case, uh, no one should break that covenant. No one should break that marriage. And even as we read in both the Old and New Testament, uh, the husband and wife, they've been given uh, distinct uh, roles. But the Bible also says they are co-partners, which means uh, there should be mutual love and there should be mutual respect. So they may have different roles, but that doesn't mean one is superior or one is inferior. It is simply the order of life. And of course, marriage forms the foundation of family, and any relationship that is outside marriage uh, is uh, against uh, God's will. So we see the right uh, foundation, as we see. Uh, We should not be unequally yoked. And we should also be willing to reach that point where we are leaving the past and we are cleaving or we are looking forward uh, to the future with one person and we become one. But if we keep uh, looking back uh, to past a relationship, uh, it is it is not possible to go backwards and forwards uh, at the same time. So God's desire is that when we come together in marriage, uh, we should leave the past. We should leave past relationships and we should cleave uh, to the one person that we are marrying, and we should become one. So again, it doesn't mean that we are abandoning uh, all the relationships that we have had in the past with our parents, friends, and so on. But the emphasis is that the priorities uh, should shift uh, in terms of who comes first uh, in our life. And the Bible also speaks about uh, the role of husbands and wives, Uh, So we we see that the husband is the head of the wife, which means uh, he should take the position of leadership. And it also says in Ephesians 5.25, the husbands uh, should love your wives, uh, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So there is love and there is also honor, as we read in 1 Peter uh, 3.7. So these are uh, specific things uh, that we see Uh, in the New Testament, that the husband should lead, uh, he should love uh, sacrificially, and he should also honor and respect his wife. And in case of wives, uh, we read in Ephesians 5.22, uh, wives uh, should submit uh, themselves unto their own husbands, uh, even as they do uh, unto the Lord. So just like uh, Christ is the head of the church, uh, we see that husbands, they are the head of the wife and the household and the wives must submit uh, to their own husbands uh, even unto the lord so it doesn't say women should submit to uh, all the men uh, it simply says uh, within the setting of a family or within that nuclear structure uh, they should submit to their own husbands as uh, unto the lord At the same time, it also says husband and wives uh, should submit uh, to one another uh, in the fear of God. So even though there is uh, a certain hierarchy of differences in functions, but at the same time, the expectation is there should be uh, mutual submission and mutual uh, interdependence. And we also see that uh, God plays an important role in marriage. So we often emphasize Uh, Ecclesiastes uh, 4.12, that a threefold cord is not uh, easily broken. So if God is not uh, part of the marriage, then oftentimes the marriage would break uh, because God is not taking uh, an important role uh, in that marriage. And we also read in uh, Psalm 127.1, except the Lord build the house, uh, they labor in vain, Uh, that build it. So husband and wife, uh, they could do all they want, but if God is not at the center of the marriage, then that marriage uh, will not be a blessing. Uh, It will not be fruitful, and it will not uh, attain the heights that God wants it to attain. And when we come to the New Testament, uh, it also speaks about the divine marriage, which is the Christ uh, and the church, So we read about that in Ephesians uh, 5, 25, 27. uh, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might uh, sanctify, cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might uh, present it to himself, a glorious church, uh, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without uh, blemish. So we see that the institution of marriage uh, that we have uh, in this world uh, should mirror uh, the relationship that God wants to build uh, with the church, with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as the bridegroom and the church as his bride. And in Revelation 19, 7, uh, it speaks about the marriage uh, supper. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the wife hath made uh, herself uh, ready. So that is a marriage uh, that the church uh, is looking forward to uh, when we would be united with Lord Jesus Christ in the holy marriage. So we also see in the scriptures that there are situations where divorce uh, or separation uh, may be uh, considered. Uh, so we read in uh, Matthew nineteen eight, uh, it speaks about uh, adultery and it also picks up Uh, from the Old Testament. So it says, uh, uh, he saith also unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, uh, it was not so. So here uh, we are seeing that it is not God's perfect will to put away your wife. Uh, It is not God's uh, perfect will to divorce. Uh, But at the same time, Uh, there is some leeway that's given. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, uh, except it be for fornication or adultery, uh, that would be the reason. Yeah, And we read in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, again, uh, putting away of the woman because of uncleanness. And 1 Corinthians uh, 7.15 says, uh, if you're married to an unbeliever, and if the unbelieving spouse departs, uh, it says, uh, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage uh, in such uh, cases. So this might be a little bit sensitive, but if there is a physical abuse of the spouse and of, or the children, then in that case, uh, we have to exercise uh, discretion. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that we should separate uh, under those conditions, but that is something that has to be prayed and decided and if you're already divorced so obviously we cannot go back in history so people may come to come to the lord uh, after they have already gone through divorce they may get saved and so on Uh, if that is the case uh, then they need to seek uh, forgiveness uh, from god for the mistakes uh, made in the past so it is no different uh, from other sins that we commit And we go to the Lord uh, for forgiveness Uh, in the same way a divorce that has already taken place. uh, We cannot change it. So we need to go back to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. And as we are reminded often from 1 John 1.7, that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is able to cleanse us from all our sins. There might be other questions that uh, come about and we are given answers uh, in the scriptures that if you are married to an unbeliever then the bible is clear that we should stay married uh, unless the unbeliever decides to leave uh, in which case uh, we have the freedom uh, to separate and if the spouse dies the expectation is uh, you will marry uh, a believer so uh, the spouse is dead it doesn't mean that you have to remain uh, single Uh, you're free to marry obviously that person should be in the Lord. And is remarriage uh, considered uh, adultery? So uh, so if somebody goes through a divorce, the Bible is saying that couple is still considered married. And any remarriage, uh, except if the divorce took place because of adultery, uh, is considered adultery. So that would be Matthew 19 and 9. So this is the covenant that many of us uh, go through when we get married. So that's uh, oftentimes we uh, do this covenant, but we forget uh, over the years. But it's again a very simple but uh, a powerful covenant or a promise that we make uh, to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. Uh, till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance or God's covenant. So that's a question we need to ask ourselves, whether we are faithful uh, to our marriage covenant. And if you're not faithful, uh, how can we uh, change or how can we fix uh, what is not correct?